You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm JR. I'm Disc Grinder from the Binro Was Right podcast of excellent and loveliness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hayden Gribble from the Diddly Dumb podcast. And I'm Phil Cannon from the Who's He podcast. Right, before we go any further, dear Blue Boxers, I thought your last podcast was quite good. It was very long, wasn't it? You talked about lots of films and kept mentioning John Carpenter's thing. It must be quite an impressive thing for you to have talked about it so much. When you talked about Tron, Simon said that a man got sucked into a computer. This has happened to me several times, usually the same time when lots of pop-ups appear on my computer. One of them, I remember, was about penis enlargement. Maybe they need to talk to John Carpenter. Simon also liked the bit where Sark banged his helmet. I imagine that would have hurt. It certainly would have hurt John Carpenter. I liked it when you read out my letter, although I made a boo-boo typing my name and missed out an A. I told you it was a mistake, but you read it out anyway, which was a bit fishy. At one point, reading it out made Simon spit his teeth out. Ha ha. I thought he was younger than that. <laughs> Another. You know, th- you know when you said, uh, <laughs> yeah. you warned me, JR, that I shouldn't swear, given that that's the thing that I do on uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the Ben Rowan's Right podcast. Yeah. So clearly innuendo is okay. Innuendo's fine. But, right. But we are Just... recording a blue box podcast, so please do <laughs> please do not say buck or fugger. I'm not going to say either <laughs> of those two, but you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to set the ground rules. Right. Let's, you know. Absolutely. Right. Let's get back to the another film you talked about which I liked was The Fifth Element with no, The Fifth Elephant with Bruce Forsyth and Miller Yovalovalovalov. She was very nice and wore very little, which made me happy. At one point, she had a bandage over her boobies, which made me sad, although her boobies were very small. So that wasn't as bad as it could have been. J.R. liked the film Time After Time, which was a very short film starring Cindy Lauper. I quite liked it, but I preferred preferred I Drive All Night when Cindy took all her clothes off and pretended to be a cinema screen. I watched that one a lot and my hand got tired again. (laughs) (laughs) You also talked about a film. His his emails are a bit close to the uh, knuckle, aren't they? Yes. (laughs) The you, fine knuckle shuffle. You, yeah. <laughs> you also talked about a film with Karen Gilliam where she shaved all her hairs off. I, li- <laughs> I like her very much as she never wore panties when she was on Doctor Who, which made me happy. I know this because of a scene with Rory when he was underneath her looking up and he broke things. I expect he already knew that she was shaved. <laughs> This is so getting a red E on iTunes. Yeah. 
You know what, I mean, though? iTunes, on. I think they do it by computer, so the computer's looking for certain words. So I think you can get away with as much innuendo as They're you like. They're not looking for Kevin Williams, clearly. No, <laughs> as long as you don't say buck or fugger. <laughs> JR's favourite film was Invasion of the Body Smackers. I like this one very much. It had Donald Trump in it. I like him because he has <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> I like him because he has a name about farting and Jeff and Jeff Goldbum. Mr. Spock was in it too. He has just died, which made me cry as I liked him a lot. I often used his Vulcan neck grip, although I was asked to stop that by a judge after a lady complained. The lady in the film was Kelly Brook and Adam. At one point, Adam took all her clothes off, which made me happy. Is this a letter or a psalm? <laughs> this is nearly over. It's nearly over, I promise. <laughs> At one point, Adam took all her clothes off, which made me happy. There was one bit when she saw Donald Trump watching her in the buff and pointed at him and made a noise like a piggy. That happened to me quite a lot and was responsible for me losing my job at the ladies' gym. Your friend, <laughs> Sharak Jizz, with two A's. Can I just pick up on the uh, on the Leonard Nimoy uh, um, reference there? Is yeah. Apparently... Um, there's this thing called spocking, which is uh, people uh, defacing Canadian dollars to make them look like Leonard Nimoy, and this is a thing that's been happening over the last, you know, couple of days in oh, order really? to, in order to uh, um, commemorate the passing of one of the great, yeah, and lovely hmm. uh, science fiction heroes. They basically what they do is they draw biro. They I don't know whether they use biros. I don't know whether biros are a thing that you have in Can- in Canada. But they draw, they make the uh, the Canadian dollar look like uh, it has Spock on it, which is brilliant. There's also a thing called Spocking here in Exeter, where people get in their cars and drive up to Dartmoor and don't ask me what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> That's Spocking. I was just thinking, I was just thinking, on, on the Canadian dollars, can you actually draw like an evil Spock beard on there as well? Yeah, you can. Oh, yes. But apparently, uh, there's the Canadian dollar has recently been made out of plastic, so it's very difficult to draw on it. Oh. Unless you're really, really, really good at it. Persistent? And, uh, well, yes. <laughs> very plastic dollars. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'd say, In- that was, I'd say that was spock on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon they're checks bounce? <laughs> it depends whether they're made out of plastic or rubber, I suppose. But I don't want to bring up the subject of rubber just in case we get an email from Sharak Jizz about it. Too late, it's coming. <laughs> uh, oh my god, don't use that word. <laughs> too late, again. guys. The reason. <laughs> Far too late. I might have to edit this entire first 20 minutes of the podcast. The reason we are gathered here today, guys. It's March 2015. What happened 10 years ago? England won the Don't Ashes. Who came back? No, I'm did saying Doctor Who came back. Doctor Who came back. It did, it did, it did. We <laughs> celebrate. We're here. Well, one of the reasons we're here is to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the return Yay. of Doctor Who. Woohoo! Phil, well, here's a question for you, Phil. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when you first heard the news that it was coming back? Uh, ooh. I, I the answer to that's obviously no. No, I don't. I don't remember where I was when I heard it was coming back. Actually, I probably read it on the internet when I should have been working. Actually, oh, that's, that's probably where enough. I read it. Yeah, yeah. That's probably um my first inkling of what what was going on, and and the amazement that Chris Reckleston was doing it as well. 
I think that's what caught me off guard more than anything else, to be honest. Do you remember how you felt about it? Because for some people, I mean, for most people, Doctor Who coming back was the most exciting thing in the world. But I'm guessing that there were some people who were thinking, oh my God, they can't bring it back again. You know, uh, they, they messed it up last time, they'll mess it up again. Well, I must admit, I had images in my mind of, you know, wobbly sets and it being filmed on video and, and everything. So that that's how I thought it was going to come back, as it was when it was cancelled um, back in the 80s. I thought it was going to carry on where they left off sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, like EastEnders is done now, really, if you know what I mean. It's, it's yeah, yeah. that sort of shot on video thing. And, of course, when it we saw it, it was, wow. Well, the first trailer for argument's sake, when he's running down the tunnel away from the big fireball, which I was so disappointed yeah. they actually made it into the series. But, uh, yeah, I thought, oh, crikey, they're taking this seriously. They really are. Well, the problem with um, with the Wobbly Sets thing was that there wasn't CGI good enough in 2005 to replicate Wobbly Sets. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it just couldn't be done. They were trying to get into classic Doctor Who and just, just failed miserably. They managed to do the wobbly monsters pretty well with the Slitheen. Yeah. Mm, the farting yes. aliens. Yeah, the Slitheen. I love the Slitheen. I did too. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, this, there's this, this thing about where you say, is Doctor Who for children? Or is it for and my thesis and Betsy, my, uh, you know, my significant other, our thesis is that Doctor Who is about the family. It's about family viewing. It's about making something for everybody to watch. And that was done brilliantly in 2005. Here, here. Um, and discuss. <laughs> oh, we will. Oh, he mm. did. Uh, every, every member of the family, there was something there for them. But let's Absolutely. stay, let's stay on the subject of Sorry. before, just for a minute, let's stay on the subject of before the series actually made it back. Do you remember then, Disc Grinder, where you were, how you heard the news? Yes, I do, absolutely. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Doctor Who, and I've been, I've, I've got three small boys. Well, they're not so small now. They were small then. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd been telling my, my eldest all about Doctor Who and saying how brilliant it was and read these, listen to that. And then when I found out, and it wasn't through the internet, I don't know, I think it was a friend of mine who told me that it was actually coming back. I kind of, I, I, I could not speak when I was telling my, my, <laughs> my boy. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't form words. I was going, ah, oh, the thing I was telling you about is good, it's here. So I can remember that. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was a genius moment because I could, I could imagine, all of the things that I felt when I was growing up that he's going to feel now. Because he was, uh, was 2005 when it came back? He was seven. That's the perfect age. Yeah. The mm -hmm. perfect age to get into Doctor Who. And he did. And, you know. And the others were about two, three years old? Um, Byron was uh, exactly two. Um, and uh, Marlowe was five, because he's binary oh, boy. Cause he's, yeah. Um, and... Um, a thing that we did uh, just lately, me and Betsy, we, we were talking to the boys about what they remembered about Doctor Who. And one of the things that was amazing was how much they had kind of um, uh, remembered and realised about it to the fact that my boy, who was only two years old when uh, Christopher Eccleston was, was on the TV, was telling me about how scary the gas mask yeah. children were. 
It's amazing, you know. It's it's just one of those things that is uh, is is completely brilliant about Doctor Who is that it has such a huge effect. Um, yeah, it was lovely. It was it it, it uh, it's a great gonna... it's a great <laughs> if you've got three boys of those ages, that mm. is a great way to get them together on the sofa for an evening mm. and share an experience. And perhaps mm. that's why they all remember it so well. Mm. It's because an experience they shared together as a family, like a family day out or something, but a family day out with the telly. Well, one of the things that I was uh, I always thought was a cliche, even though I had experienced it myself, was hiding behind the sofa. Mm. I've seen my boys do that. <laughs> I've seen my boys hide behind the sofa. I've seen my boys go out of the room and peer around the corner of the door jam, watching the Slitheen or or watching the boy in the gas mask. I've seen that actually happen. It's not a cliche. It's an actual thing. It's Hinchcliffe. Yeah squared you know it's and it's lovely phil still hides behind the sofa <laughs> i'm hiding behind it right now actually <laughs> but for entirely different reasons yes <laughs> i've lost my trousers that's what... <laughs> hayden you're the odd one out here i am you're too young to remember that when the classic series was on yeah sorry about that guys <laughs> so your first your first experience of doctor who as an ongoing concern was christopher eccleston well, discounting Paul McGann, I guess. I do remember the TV yeah. movie. That that was my first well, that was, full story. That was just a one-off, of course. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, I think I was on a school computer uh, looking up the news and I, I saw the uh, the announcement then. But it seems to, I, I, I seem to remember that it took an age to come back, though, because I think they announced it around the time of the 40th anniversary, didn't they? If my I memory think... serves me correct. I think it was September 2003, so it was about 18 months between yeah. then and it actually getting to the screen, yeah. Yeah, so it took an age, but it was a surreal experience, because it had always been a show that only I would really watched, because um, obviously my fellow uh, alumni of the Wilderness years have been deprived of Doctor Who, and I'd, no matter how hard I tried to get fellow friends and classmates into it, I think I was really the only one, so it it was odd to see this almost like this sort of hidden uh, yeah. interest of mine, all of a sudden go mainstream, and within those 18 months, you know, everybody on the school bus is talking about it, so it's very, very odd. There's me sitting there thinking, but I've watched all the old ones. You, you don't know anything. You haven't seen... <laughs> you know. <laughs> hang, hang on a minute. It's like everybody on the school bus, mm-hmm. quite how young are you? Uh, I'm, I'm 25, so I, I was actually born uh, the summer they were filming season 26. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit scary, really, isn't it? That is yeah. really scary. You are exactly half my age. For any... I'm very sorry to hear that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Not as sorry as Disc Grinder is. No. <laughs> Hayden. Yes. Did you... During those wilderness years... Mm-hmm. When you were, because I think for me, Phil and Disc Grinder, I think that the answer to this question probably going to be fairly similar between the three of us. But during the wilderness years, between the TV movie and hearing the announcement, was it was it the case that you ever thought that that Doctor Who would come back? I know we've all wanted it to come back, but did you ever think of it as something that might actually happen? And I'll tell you why I asked because. From about 
2000 onwards, I always assumed it would at some point. And I don't know about Phil and Disc Grinder, but I think that's fairly common among sort of classic series fans. You just kind of get to the point where it becomes like a manifest destiny that at some mm. point it will get resurrected. But did you ever have those feelings? No, not at all. I thought it, I thought it was long dead. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, the reason being, I, I, I don't know really. I mean, it, it was just, I felt as though in a sense there was 26 years to catch up on. And I was thinking, how on earth am I ever going to do that if they start making a new series? <laughs> Just keep <laughs> wow. adding to the pile as such. But no, honestly, I, I, I'd always thought um, there was a, a brief period of time when I thought after the TV movie that maybe there would be a series coming up in the next year or two. But then that never came in. I saw more and more books and, uh, mm. you know, new adventures and the BBC range with the Eighth Doctor in my bookshops more and I thought well that's how the series is going to continue I, I never ever thought that it'd be back on TV Wow yeah. Doubly wow. nice surprise for you yes. Come on then Phil <laughs> Did you think the TV movie had killed it or did you think like I did that the TV movie just showed that there was a taste for it it just needed the right person to get behind it and get it kick started um, Yeah I think after that because I enjoyed the TV movie at the time I'm sort of looking back on it now I'm not it's not that wonderful, but Paul McGann is utterly fantastic in the role. And I think if that was to whet anyone's appetite, it, it was him, really, mm. because he just seemed to capture the um, the essence of what the Doctor should be for that for that sort of then-modern audience, Yeah, really. Um, I know there was a big outcry at the time that, oh, he's kissed his companion, but I think if you look back, what happened then just laid the foundations of what we got in 2005, it gave us that modern doctor. And I think that's what was needed. I think then. that... Uh, and, oh, sorry. No, sorry, go, go on, go on, sorry. I think the TV movie had to make the mistake. It had to be there to make the mistakes to show people in the future how Doctor Who had to be made and how to do it mm. right. That's a really good point. That's and a the, really uh, good point. Yeah. The, other, yeah, the other point about the TV movie is it did make those mistakes which showed what not to do with Doctor Who, but it also demonstrated that Doctor Who didn't have to be about vt and wobbly sets and crap monsters it showed that doctor who could look good and that you could still do doctor who as an expensive sort of all film type series that would work in the modern day yeah well yeah, you also well the, the other point is that you that, that it did show that you needed to get the dalek license yeah because yeah. if you did that you know that was it wasn't going anywhere <laughs> you know i mean the 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 the, the Poultry excuse for the Daleks shouting "exterminate" at the beginning of the uh, of the TV movie was just you know it just it just said to every fan was this isn't going to be as good as you think it's going to be. Mm. Yeah, mm. they sounded yeah. like teenage Daleks, didn't they? The, the voices haven't quite <laughs> broken yet. <laughs> pretty much, Daleks. Yeah, pretty much how I sounded when I heard, "Oh, Mum, no, Doctor Who's about to come back on TV." <laughs> <laughs> I got to admit, I the the Daleks at the start of the TV movie, I managed to shut off every time that bit happens, so I never remember afterwards what they sounded like. It's gone. I've deleted it. We, <laughs> we won't remind you then. Well, no, we won't. No, none. please don't. <laughs> I haven't put the bins out. Did you think it would disgrinded? Did you think it would come back? I hoped in my absolute fanboy heart that it would. I didn't think it ever would, and when it did, it was absolutely fantastic. 
Um, but no, I, I seriously didn't think, because I was, um, uh, Betsy showed me on a number of occasions that I was a total Sylvester denier. Yeah. Is that I'd, I'd just broken off from, I, I mean, from Peter Davison, I was okay with, but I couldn't deal with any of the sixth or the seventh doctor. And I, I just couldn't do that. Cause like, this is the eighties. I'm, I'm in my twenties. You can't, you cannot in your twenties agree with or watch or talk about a camp doctor. You know, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and and Betsy has told me and 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 shown me and hit me in the face a couple of times and said you're, a, I'm not swearing, but um you you, you can say have... words that begin with the letter T if you like. Yes, perhaps yes, <laughs> and I have a W and an A and a T in it as well. Yeah, but, uh, but she sh- we watched Paradise Towers just um, a year ago, and I was in bits. I was thinking I have missed this. This is fantastic. Yeah. Um. So, had I not been a, a Sylvester or a, or a, you know, a, a Colin denier or a Colin denier, I would have very much thought that Doctor Who was so coming back. Um, I mean, and Russell T, who kind of uh, predicted it with Queer as Folk, with his continual references to Doctor yeah. Who mm. in that seminal series, um, it, yes. Had I been a little bit more intelligent, I would have <laughs> thought that Doctor Who was coming back. Please don't use words like seminal when we've got Sharak Jizz listening. <laughs> <laughs> here's a here's a curveball question for you all then, seeing as you've brought up the classic <clears throat> series. All right, Hayden, you <clears throat> first. Name your favourite classic series story. Don't think about it, just say it. The Web of Fear. Oh. Wow. Yeah, that's just come back. Was that your favourite before it came back, or has that become your favourite? It was. Seen it. Funny story about that. It, it was the only Doctor Who target novelisation that was in my school library, uh, and I read it, reread it, memorised the memorised the plot, memorised the the uh, the characters, memorised almost every word to the point that I just thought I'm just not going to return this book. So <laughs> it's still it, it's still here. It's still in my house. <laughs> well, your library copy. Yes. <laughs> That's outrageous. You're depriving other young boys of ever having any knowledge of the web of fear by taking that book. Well, now they can now they can watch it on DVD. Well, yeah, there's always that, but it's not the same. <laughs> wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yes. Go on then, Phil. Phil, your favourite classic series story. Don't think about it, just say it. Inferno. Okay. Good choice. Oh, Hands down, ah. it's my actually that's season the original season seven or series seven, we want to call it. That is my all time favorite series of Doctor Who, full stop. Pertwee's first brilliant, season, I think, was absolutely brilliant. fantastic. And Inferno, people say it's a little bit over long, and the primal creatures were well, what, what were they there for, really, other than to scare the kids? But I think it's an utterly fantastic and doom laden story. He can't save the alternate universe. That doesn't that ends badly for everyone there. And I just think it's fantastic. And there's no um score to speak of. It's just background noise and the occasional you might drilling. get some dr- yeah, drilling noise. Yeah. It, I, oh, it's such a such a departure um from I, I think from the rest of the from the rest of that series. Mm. Um and it's almost sort of harks back it's almost like a Troughton story in, in a funny way. Mm. If you see what I mean. But but um 
I just think Perp is my doctor anyway. So, um, but that is hands down my favourite, and I probably waffle on a little bit too much about that. It's one of the no, only. No, no, that was brilliant. It's one of the only classic stories where you could perhaps perceive, well, the doctor could be perceived as failing because he fails yeah, to yeah, save the yeah. alternate universe. Wow. So that that sets it apart from others as well. I, I love Inferno too. Brilliant story. Yeah, it's brilliant. Okay, Disc Grinder, your turn. Don't think about it, just say it. Oh, well, clearly it's the invasion. The invasion? It's the the Cyberman invasion for two reasons. It is the first Doctor Who that I actually realised that I was watching because it's late 60s. I was born in 1964. To this point is that I remember being so frightened by the Cybermen coming up through the sewers that if I didn't flush the toilet, (laughs) I thought it would turn into a Cyberman's head. (laughs) Right? No, genuinely. I used to think if I'd run down the stairs and that that thing would turn into a Cyberman's head with the handles on it, because I was like five, and it's like it it, it deeply, deeply affected my, you know, my my adulthood, and that's the reason why I'm frightened of toilets. Is that why you always put the seat down now then, is it? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Get that side, man. Yeah. For, for yeah. fear but of no, a five box is like hand coming around the U-bend. Oh, grabbing, no, grabbing your arm stop, like stop. it is. Stop. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to go into therapy right now. But um, from the, there are a couple of things. I do remember the um, the, the uh, manhole covers being thrown off and the yeah. side men coming up from it. I also remember Patrick Troughton running through an avenue yeah. Um, being shot at and the explosions going on. Now, one of the things that I, I I wonder about is, do I remember that because that's what I've seen on YouTube, or do I remember it because that's what I actually saw when I was five? Yeah, I don't know. This is this thing, and I'd like to ask, uh, put it out to the guys: is like, do you do are particular scenes of Doctor Who things that you remember because you saw them first? Or is because um, you have now? Well, I can answer that for myself. Go on. My, one of my earliest memories, my earliest clear, really clear memory, is Planet of the Daleks. And I don't know, 20 years later, when I got a really dodgy pirate copy of that, really dodgy bootleg VHS of it, mm. I watched it and the stuff I remembered wasn't in the episode. In other mm. words, my memory had cheated and I was remembering things that had never actually happened. Oh, that's fantastic, though, isn't it? Wow. It's, just, yeah. it it's so amazing that you, you make up memories about how scary yeah. it was. Filling in the blanks, that's yeah, what they absolutely. talk about. But with you Doctor told Who. a really, JR, you told an absolutely fantastic story about uh, the, the Dalek whose battery ran out oh, yeah. on your, <laughs> on <my laughs> on window, on your sill. window sill. That's just. But that kind of completely encapsulated for me how scary Doctor Who was, mm. was that, you know, it, 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 it was the most scary thing that I, that, that I experienced growing up in the 70s. It was just, you know, and, and a Dalek running out of battery on your windowsill <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning, going, Exterminate! like Richard Briers in the um, Paradise Towers or whatever it was. You know, it's just amazingly good. Do you know, I tell you what, on that subject, one of the reasons why Doctor Who was scary, and this is perhaps why it doesn't work in quite the same way nowadays, 
One of the reasons why Doctor Who is scary is because you'd get to the end of the episode and you would have to wait nearly seven days to find mm. out how mm. they got out of that. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you then, Hayden. Uh-huh. Coming to Doctor Who after the fact and being able to watch these stories on VHS or UK Gold <laughs> or, you know, wherever, did you find Doctor Who scary when you were a kid? No, I didn't. Not at all. Uh. Not at all. No. Wow. I've, and I've, to this day, I've never found Doctor Who scary. Oh, it's never sent a shiver. It's never sent a shiver up or down my spine. So, so what is it you love about it then, Hayden? I think it's just what a broad canvas that Doctor Who brings. It, it, it's it can be anything. It could be one thing, one story, and one thing the next. And I love the imagination, and uh, yeah. also the realization as well. Fantastic. So, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I think the. Uh, I think the one time where it did, it did possibly instill a little bit of fear in me was when I got. I my think first... Hayden's too young to admit to being scared. Us oldies, <laughs> we don't mind. Well, I think the only time I think the only time is when I saw, and it's a very odd one, but my first video was Snake Dance, and it was the snake on the front cover, and wow. it was seeing the snake, hmm. and I thought, ooh, you know, that's a bit. I don't like the look of that. You know. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we've still got Sharak Jizz listening, and you've just said I looked at the snake and thought, "Ooh." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the thing was, I, I have to point out is like growing up in the seventies is that the even the theme tune was yeah. scary. So when yes. the theme tune came on, you had that orange glow of the feedback loop that was scary in itself. You mean we're talking about this is just after the football balls have been read out. Mm, and then mm. you get the and you get this kind of and it's like it, it it's like a, a a signifier children you are going to be scared out of your lives right now the sofa is there that's where you need to go behind i mean it, uh, people say it's a cliche but it actually happened i was so frightened um one of the most frightening um series that i saw was the mutants Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah. You know, because this I'm I'm like what, seven? Yeah. And uh we've got these brilliantly realised um creatures um uh, that they then used again in the brain of Mebius or Morbius or whatever yeah. you want to call it. <laughs> so uh but but you had these brilliantly realised creatures who weren't the bad guys. Yeah. Which was fantastic. It's like I had been frightened out of my life by these creatures that were kind of attacking Joe and, and uh, John Pertwee rubbing the back of his neck and um, <laughs> I, I, I'm totally transfixed by that and then found out in the in the, the fourth episode that they weren't the bad guys revelation this is just you know this is this is a point in my life where I think oh hang on there's just stuff going on here that I didn't realise fantastic I mean, my, my thesis is is that Doctor Who teaches you lessons yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's always been my theory that Doctor Who's less about educating people in history and science than it is teaching people about morals and ethics. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hayden, how do you? What you know? You coming from a, a kind of like quite a young perspective on that? How do you feel about it teaching you morals? I never really picked up on it as a kid. If I'm honest, no. I mean, one one of my earliest stories I saw was The Green Death. Mm. A highly moral, you know, a, a story yeah. seeped in morals and uh, 
all I really, all I really cared about at the time was how they were going to defeat the boss. You know, it, it, it sort of went over my head. It wasn't until I got older, and when I started revisiting, you know, the VHS collection, which I'd slowly built up, and then when I looked mm. back, remember one of them sticking out was uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, mm. and thinking all the way through just how many, you know, the high body count of the story, and thinking something's going to happen here. I remember because I, I went into, I went into it blind. I didn't realize that Tegan was going to leave at the end. But I thought there's got to be consequences because there's so much blood being shed, yeah, um, and some terrible dying acting as well. <laughs> yeah, well, so, we, you know, again, when you're talking about the R Dalek series, like you've got Resurrection, Remembrance, uh-huh. and your favourite uh, JR. Don't mention the name. Just I'm carry not going on. to because I'm clearly not going to do that because <laughs> you know I don't want to talk about Eric Star Wars, <laughs> Eric Seaweed. yeah but there there was funnily enough we have been talking and reminiscing wonderfully about classic doctor who but we're supposed to be celebrating new who well i want to celebrate all of it with this which is kind of but there's also another reason why i went down the avenue and that was i just wanted to test a little theory out and well the theory hasn't exactly come up trumps but something else has come out instead Phil's choice was Inferno, and Phil, I think you'd admit that that's a highly atypical story. It is, it is yeah, very, very, yeah. very, very much of its time, I suppose you could say. It's a typical Doctor Who story. And... Oh, atypical? No, I mean not typical. The, well, oh, I don't know. I don't know really. It's um, the unit got, thing. Yeah, he's got the unit thing there. You still got the the Doctor is still. Which isn't so much, I don't think it's so much prevalent now, is the fact that the Doctor is still the centre of attention. And he very much is in that story. He, it's a yeah. typical Doctor story. I mean, there's no, he's, Pertwee is all over that story. Mm. Um, which I don't think you get so much now, because obviously they try to divide the, the story between the Doctor, the companion, and, and the other characters a lot more. Whereas back then it was all about the, the Doctor, or maybe in Pertwee's case, all about Pertwee. Oh yeah, all about his big nose and his big hair. Exactly. Now, where, which where not I, by the season. <laughs> now, where I was going with that was the alternate universe thing. That's the only time you get that in the classic series. I, the reason I asked yes. was it was just a tiny straw poll because I was wondering: are the stories that we like the best, the stories that stick out the most in our memory, the ones that do something different? But what I found instead was you all picked stories that are set in the modern day in London, on Earth. Mm. So this brings me right back to the new series and Russell T. Davis's decision to use London as a base from which to set the adventures so that maybe if Rose went off to the past or to the future, they'd always come back to London afterwards. I was going to say, was that a wise decision? But I think your answers to that question have kind of proven that it is. Completely see what you did there. Genius. (laughs) Devious, devious, I call it. (laughs) Devious, I say genius. You say devious. That was that was so. We were we were so played there. We were (laughs) (laughs) not deliberately though. I'm just making it up as I go along, like I always do. That's a fantastic point, though, Jr. I mean, that is a really good point. Is like like you have totally shown what it's about. It's ah, amazing. Uh, Somebody else say something because I'm just going to... Well, uh, (laughs) here's the point then. Doctor Who, it can go anywhere. It can do anything. But, as with all programmes, 
we like to be able to identify and connect with it in certain ways mm -hmm. and with a program that can go anywhere and do absolutely anything your point of connection can get lost unless you have some kind of root in something that you can understand and recognize and appreciate mm -hmm. and in the very early days that was the two teachers two yes. humans yeah. lost abroad and the very first series those first two series they were about, they were like Gulliver's Travels. They were about, will they ever get home? And really, you're not following the stories of the Daleks and you're not following the story of the Doctor. You're following the story of the two teachers and those other things that are happening are great and colourful things that sort of keep your interest going. But what's really keeping you coming back week after week is to see what happens to Ian and Barbara. Barry Letts oh. then. Oh, go Absolutely. On. To your point, uh, Polly and uh, the other Ben, one, yeah. yeah. Polly yeah, and Ben. Getting off yeah. at exactly the same point where they left. It's mm. like, oh, well, we're back where we were. So that's it. Cheers then, Patrick. Um, we'll, we'll go off on there. But that's but, a really clever... Before you go on, that's a really clever thing to do, bringing them back the same day as they leave. Because in a really subtle, subconscious way, that's kind of a signifier to the children in the audience that Doctor Who is scary but safe because it puts you back where you came from. Gets them back home. Yeah, yeah. but then there's the thing is like that point where they got brought back to was exactly the point where the war machines were. Yeah. Where, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the evil of the Daleks, not the evil of the Daleks, the power of the Daleks was happening, you know, all the evil of the Daleks. At that same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah thing. But then go back to that and we get to uh, Christopher Eccleston. Um, and putting uh, putting Doctor Who slam back into that earthbound, almost council house estate version of of reality was just wonderful. I mean, mm. that's the thing that brought me back into Doctor Who was the, funnily enough, for a science fiction show, how grounded it was mm. in, in 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 contemporary reality. Is that it? Just it. it, it I, out of you guys, when Doctor Who got reintroduced, how many of you thought that it was going to be that grounded in today? I, it was no, I, no, I didn't. I didn't actually. I thought because um, it's Doctor has always been in sort of when it comes back to Earth, it's always been like a near future. Mm -hmm. If you if you yeah. look at like you know, like the Pertwee years, or even like going back to Troughton, actually, when when he's on Earth, it's always, it always seems like a near future rather yes. than you know right you know right here and now. Um, and I thought that's what they, the, the route they would go down. Um, but even though there's been a lot of throughout the years, there's been a lot of Earth centric stories, and I think this is one of the problems a lot of the old school fans had with the new series when it came back, and something they conveniently forgot was they, they moaned a lot about the fact that the new series is all rooted in this South London council estate. Yeah. It's set on modern-day Earth. But if you look back over the years, the amount of stories that were set on modern-day Earth, if you have to look at Pertwee, going back to Pertwee again, the majority of these stories were set on Earth. Yes. But people yeah. com lauded as classics, but people conveniently forgot that. A moment well, about the fact there's not enough alien planets. He needs yeah. to be in but space, and it's not just about time. It's about time and space. But well, look at season you know. five, which is famously the one that introduces the concept of Doctor Who being the show about the monsters and aliens, and you mm. know the Doctor fights the monsters. Season five, you've got the Web of Fear, 
and everything else, oh, apart from Web of Fear at one end and Tomb of the Cybermen at the other end. But in between that, you've got six stories that are all set on Earth. Mm. Yeah. Mm. In a row. Unbelievable. Yeah, so there's nothing different there. I really don't think there's anything different. It just, to my but mind, the, it carried on where it left off. But yeah. the, well, there, but the there is, is that. Oh, sorry, go on. There is that ridiculous oh. um, idea that Doctor Who goes through these cycles of um, crotchety old man, based under siege, action man, madman, slightly breathy blonde man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say TWAT, and then um, and then Sylvester the Magician, and it's just ridiculous because if you look at each one of those series, there's such a vast panoply of difference in even them. Even even if you look at uh, Pertwee's second series, when you would think when you would think it was going to be such a formula, there's no formula there. There are so many, you've got Malcolm Hulk and uh, yeah, you know, all those guys. Mm. Talk, yeah, it's it's sorry, I'm ranting a bit. It's okay, but it's a good point because, you know, especially back then, Malcolm Holt would write one kind of a story, Robert Holmes would write another kind of a story, and mm. they were light years apart. Mm. And yet, and mm. yet, because they were both set on Earth and they both had unit in, people would say, oh yeah, it's the same thing. Mm. Of course it's not the same thing. But I think one of the things which introduced the new series to a brand new audience was the fact that it was grounded in... A, in a far more believable reality than it was in it the classic series. It was a consistency series. in the universe, wasn't there? Indeed, yeah, e yeah, exactly. And also, with basing it, you know, on a council estate in London, is a lot more believable and relatable than a power station in the near future. That's yeah. such a good point. Mm. Yeah. So in fact, what's that's... happening? I sorry, I'll carry on. What I think is happening here is that because modern TV audiences are more sophisticated, and, you know, we could beat about the bush all we like, but it's true, modern television is more sophisticated. And what's happening is, by creating a more coherent universe, where you've got things like, for instance, what Stephen Moffat does with the Paternoster gang, allows the audience watching at home to accept the weirder things and the more unusual things and the sort of wilder things because there is this grounding in this consistency in the universe. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Well, you also get, you get accelerators. You get accelerators of plot where, where you will just say, well, okay, we accept that, uh, the way you get from A to B is this way. Uh, and we can do that in 45 minutes where in the classic series, it would take six episodes for you to be able to develop that mm. point mm. is that you get, you get points in Doctor Who, New Who, where it's just like, well, this thing happened, uh, that thing happened, and it was good, and stop, and there's the Sonic Screwdriver, bleh. Whereas in classic Doctor Who, to a certain extent, especially with the runarounds in, in you know, the, the enormously padded out season six uh, yeah. uh, series, you would get <laughs> Malcolm Hulk and, you know, and, uh, and his uh, padding out the plot in order to develop character and interest uh, uh, I don't know I don't, I don't know whether I'm making a good point or not it's just I just think that there's a lot more shorthand these days absolutely yeah. that's that's thanks JR you've just shorthanded exactly what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> well here's a question this is the wider question that I was going to ask all of you uh, sort of Okay, imagine you're in a Roman arena and you're the uh, emperor of all Rome and 
Doctor Who's been playing out in the amphitheatre below you. Uh, new Who, thumbs up, thumbs down, or twiddling around the middle? On the whole, have you liked New Who more than you've disliked it? Oh, absolutely. Hayden. Absolutely. Definitely. It's, yeah. I mean, it, I, it, I, to me, I, I think it's a bit of a shame that we haven't got the serialised format that, the, that we had in the classic series. Um, to allow for more character development and for to allow for storylines to be, you know, drawn, not drawn out. What's the word I'm looking for? Played that out, extended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, that it, it's a shame that they've lost that, and now it is incredibly pacey and sometimes a bit too pacey for the casual viewer, which loses them. But on a personal note, I've absolutely loved it since it's come back. Um, I think barring patches in tenants run um i haven't switched off so i've, I've yeah love it love i'm it. completely with you on that phil mm. then how about you it's a thumbs up i've loved it since it came back actually okay not every not every episode and everyone listens to my podcast will will know that <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't like everything um but i'm just being honest but the thing is there's always something to bring you back again and it's I'm not just saying I'm, you know, I'm just a big advocate for the classic series because there's a there's a lot of things wrong with that as well. The stories there I don't like either. But again, as I say, there's always something to bring you back, and um, it's been the same with New Who. You might not like one episode one week, the next week it's a new story. It's, it starts again, um, and then you 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 could end up loving that one. Um, but I agree with Hayden that sometimes it just feels a little bit too rushed now and again. Mm. Um, I think the 45 minute format doesn't sometimes allow the story to breathe enough because um, sometimes cause some of the some of the um, endings to the story just seemed a little bit wow where did that come from <clears throat> they seemed just a little bit too not sho- shoehorned in but maybe if the, it was given a little bit more time to reach that point you wouldn't, you, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't walk away feeling like that if you know what I mean Yeah, mm. I've said this before but my theory on that is it feels rushed because you've got the end of the story the same week as you've got the beginning of the story, something you exactly, never had yeah. in the classic series. Yeah. So I think even if it's not right, because I think actually they've, over the 10 years, learned to fill that 45 minutes almost perfectly. I think it just feels that way because of that reason, to be honest. Mm. Anyway, Disc Grinder. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Thumbs absolutely up. Um and and basically to do with reintroducing the wonderful uh, um, story that is Doctor Who to my boys. Yeah. Uh, it really is. To it, but also a slight thumbs down in Series 7 with Matt Smith, where yeah. my boy Cass said, what was that all about? I don't understand any of it. I have no idea what that's about where it got a little bit too much up its own fundament, for want of a better word, is that I enjoy vicariously through my boys Doctor Who, but also enjoy it myself. But if I'm sitting on the sofa watching Doctor Who... Right, so for example, uh, the season finale, uh, Capaldi's season finale, me and the boys were sitting so far on the edge of the sofa, we were actually <laughs> in the television because it was fantastic. My, I, I could see. I looked, I looked to to my left hand, and I saw my boy Marley, and he had his hand on his heart because he was so into it. And his, I, I could see it happen. 
This is what Doctor Who does, is that it, 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 when it's brilliant, it is amazing. When it's bad, it's okay. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Fear Her is famously the worst new series episode, worst thought of new series episode. Mm. And I think it's perfectly acceptable. Absolutely. It's just not brilliant. It's not brilliant. This is the thing that we have to... We, this is the bar that we set for Doctor Who. If it's not brilliant... Yeah. You know, but mm. Fear Her is perfectly good. My boy Byron... Uh, actually, no, my boy Marlowe says the the one thing that scared him the most about Tenant's run... I think it's Tenant. Maybe it's Matt Smith. Yeah. I don't care. Tenant, Tenant. Yeah, is, is that making people into dolls... That was the oh, thing that's yeah. getting the most. Night terrors, yeah. Oh, that was night terrors, mm. yeah. Yeah, well, you know, he's wrong. I've, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've right, told I've... him. I've told him, and he's just not. I've said, go and talk to JR. He'll put you right, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same story. Except... It's pretty much fear her and yeah. the other one. It's the same story. Yeah, same plot, more or yeah. less. Yeah, Guys, so... then it's funny though because I, I've, I've, I've never heard. You know, I mean, I've I, I've got a sister who's uh, fifteen next month, mm. and she was about yeah, she was about five when the series came back. And I remember her telling me actually that fear her, she found incredibly frightening because drawings were coming to life, and it's something yeah. that children do all all of the time. So I think fear her is only really perceived as being a failure from sort of older fans. I think younger yeah. fans see the show on a completely different playing level. They really That's do. That's a good point. Yeah, and that's I, such a good point. Yeah, I mean, because actually, I mean, a, a lot of a lot of the stories that I watched as a child on those old worn out VCRs. I mean, you you would probably think a very, you know, below par stories, stuff like Snake Dance and the Invasion of Time and the Android Invasion and, Shut you know, up, and Happiness oh, Patrol. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but I was watching them on a you know on a different wavelength to a seasoned fan who watched them back in the 70s and i think it, it, it doctor who this is another way this is where it succeeds it's watched on several different levels isn't it i think tom baker yeah. once, said, once said that didn't he you know the youngest would be sitting there terrified the oldest one would be laughing for, as you know little brother or sister for laugh, for being terrified and the parents would be saying i want to watch this and isn't this enjoyable and it is true yeah it is true yeah Oh, yeah, completely. Absolutely. And as true now as it has ever been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a point that you made, JR, quite a long time ago, is that uh, when you're watching uh, Doctor classic Doctor Who, when it was broadcast, you're, you're watching it on a 12-inch screen. Mm. You know, there's no such thing as wobbly sets on a 12-inch screen. No. You know, you no, can't. No, there isn't. It, it no. is, there's this, this, this wonderful little... What you're looking into is this little corner of a universe which you have no idea about. Mm. And you're looking into it, and it's this little glowing box in the in, in your living room which is showing you absolute wonders yeah you know I, I, you know I'll, I'll leave it at that is because that's that's how i felt about it is because it, it's it's wonderfulness coming at you in an enormously black and white world <laughs> yeah. and plus you, you couldn't revisit that wonderfulness either could you absolutely no going back. No. It, it, you no. saw it and that was it you know and what and it's just your memories of that just sort of carries you through, and I think that's that's the the wonderful thing because we've all talked about our memories of of watching Who and you know our first experience of it and everything, and mm. I think that and you and you take that forward with you all the time. Even now, you know, I've got all the the DVDs, 
Hmm. But I'm still think about those memories of watching it when I was when I was a kid, rather than when yeah. I watched it last night on DVD. Well, here it's you so go. Evocative. Then. Yeah. Here you go. Then. Do you remember how heart crushing it was when Sarah fell off the scaffold in Genesis of the Daleks? Mm. Right. Oh, the first yes. time you I saw do. that, that just broke your heart. And they ended it on a cliffhanger, and that was the thing that you had to live with for seven days. Mm. You know, yeah. and it was just like, oh, <laughs> See, <laughs> no, really, seriously, ah. Yeah, so much we, so that even on the repeat, my heart was still in my mouth. Absolutely. You know, mm. it's still, I yeah. mean, Genesis Arts is just brilliant from stem. Well, there's a lot of padding, but it's brilliant from stem to stem. I would have had that. I would have had that experience, but BBC Two showed episodes two and three back to back, if I remember, when they repeated it in, was it 99 or 2000? Because they, they started showing some episodes. Oh, yeah, I think they showed Spearhead and they showed Silurians and they jumped forward to Genesis. And I showed episode one one week. I, this was the first time I'd, e- I'd ever seen a, a Dalek story. And I was mm. gripped. And then I seem to remember that they double-banked them. So even when Sarah fell, and by that point I knew that she left, you know, a season and a half later. Yeah. Um, I didn't I, I didn't quite get that feeling. But I might have done if they didn't have uh, part three out straight afterwards, you know. Here's, here's an interesting point I want to ask you guys about, which is because you're... Well, one of you is quite young. Is the <laughs> is the, you'll we're to, all young. I'll tell you what, if I'm on here again, you'll have me. to age me, I think, just so <laughs> I can keep up. Is that, is that one of the things that uh, the Daleks represented back when they first came into Classic Who was Nazis. And if you think about it, 1963, this is 20 years, not less than 20 years, than when the Nazis were actually a big threat. Mm. Mm. Uh, and 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 the, the the design of the Dalek was basically a panzer, yeah, a, a yeah. little a homunculus of a panzer. One of the things that certain American uh, podcasters don't get, and I'm not dissing them at all, is that they don't get quite how scary the Daleks actually are. Yeah, to 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 people who uh, uh, grew up with bomb sites, actual. Bomb yeah. sites, you know, like I, I yeah. played on bomb sites because I, you know, that was yeah. all you could do then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just, not... just a while the time away. Just yeah, yeah I'm going to play on a bomb site. This is <laughs> the, the world was a lot more slow moving then, and the generation that had grown up in the war were the generation that were now the parents of the children, absolutely, of the very yeah. young children yeah. who are starting to watch Doctor Who. Yeah. So this mm. is still very much a concern. Especially if you consider, because I think this is something we forget now, but the First World War was in the the 19-teens, and then it's only 20 years before the next World War starts. And when you come out of the Second World War and you get to sort of 1963, that's about 20 years again. And the Cold War is blowing strong. You've just had things like the, the Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff just a few years before. 1963, the world thinks it's on the brink of another world war. Absolutely, mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm, it's JR. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a thing that's going to make you deeply sad. Punk, <laughs> punk rock. Too late. Punk rock is closer <laughs> to the second world war than, than we are to punk rock now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, doesn't make Hayden sad. No. no <laughs> makes no. me feel very sad. Oh, oh cheers. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah. Right, guys, let's move it on. I've got one more question concerning the new series for each of you. 
Well, I'll say one more question. Uh, I didn't prepare you this, for this beforehand, but I'm going to throw it at you. Ooh. I want you to each name one highlight and one low light of the last 10 years of Doctor Who. That could be an episode, it could Blah. be a character, it could be a series, if you'd like to just nominate a series. But name your favourite and your least favourite thing of the last 10 years. Ooh, Phil. Oh, go Ooh, on. Uh, perfect one, 11th yeah. hour. Yeah. Actually, yeah. 11th hour, I thought that was just the, the perfect introduction to a new Doctor, new companion, new everything, basically. Yeah. It was, a, it, was, it was so perfect. I don't think they could actually top that at all. Um, my least favourite is the entire second uh, series for Matt Smith. Oh, there's, really? a of, there's a couple of good ones in there, but that whole story arc just um, annoyed me. I hated River Song by the end of that. All right, you're banned from this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I had I had very little good to say about that um, about that series. And now, moving swiftly along, Hayden. <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm going to go in reverse. I'm going to go for my low point first. I say my low yeah. point was the end of time. Um. I was, I mean, I've already said that I've very many, nearly turned off uh, during, you know, Tenant's run on a few occasions. Got to the end mm. of time and I was getting so bored and I thought that, oh, this series has completely disappeared up its own exhaust pipe. Um, spending, a, what, 20 minutes, wasn't it? Revisiting companions that we'd only spent yeah. time with a few episodes mm. earlier. And then having a doctor being self-pitying and say, oh, what, where's my reward? And I thought, this isn't the doctor... Patty Trown would never have done this. John Pertsby would never have done this. Colin Baker might have done it, but luckily he never got a chance to to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so, and I, I I just thought I remember my girlfriend at the time texting me saying, "Are you getting any of this? You know, what, when's Matt Smith turning up?" And that's all I yeah. kept thinking. And then there there were little moments when you know when he when Tennant is first uh, zapped with the radiation, uh, which is a highly original way to kill off a doctor, by the way. Um, he. Ah. He, well, that was a deliberate reference, to be fair. Well, there was, yeah, but 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 when, when he's crunched up in a ball in that uh, in that mm. little booth, I thought it would be such a brilliant idea to just have Matt Smith spring up then. Yeah. But, totally, but totally. no, we had twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes of a doctor going back and seeing his guy, and I just remember thinking, oh, just hurry up, and I just, I just thought, I thought the regime was old by then, and I thought you've outstayed your welcome by about four episodes. I thought that about Tenants, I thought that about RTD. I thought RTD, he found his formula quite early on and then never deviated from it. And it got a yeah, bit stagnant, yeah. got a bit boring. Mm. And I just remember thinking, this new Doctor can't arrive soon enough. So that was a right, I think that's plenty on your low light, <laughs> Hayden. Pretty good. I will add one point. You know what saved the end of time? What? Phil's choice, the 11th hour. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Perfect research. Actually, actually, I was going to say one thing to say at the end of time. Bernard Cribbins. Yes. yes. Very true. Yeah, that is Very true. true. That is true. Okay, Hayden, your, your uh-huh. highlight. Uh, personal highlight. I would have to say the 50th day of the day of the Doctor. Oh, good choice. Mm. Yeah, very mm. good choice. Mm. A lot of, a lot of, sort of old, you know, us older fans seem to really despise the fact that it came first in the PW. But I thought, no, I, I think that's a. It, it, it was it was such a perfect encapsulation of everything that is so good about the last fifty years of Doctor Who. You know, and yeah. you had I I know I know that people you know got a bit annoyed they didn't have classic Doctors in it, but I didn't want to see 
I've got to keep picking on him today, but I didn't want to see Colin Baker in a full sit, you know, trying to squeeze back into that uh, into that costume. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd had their time, move on, you know, and to bring Tom Baker back and just... And then to have John Hurt almost represent the classic series. Yeah. Was just yeah, to have, perfect. Yeah, to have John Hurt represent the classic series in terms of a screen doctor oh. and to have Tom Baker represent yes. the classic series yeah. in terms of having one of the actors in there as a kind of nod to it. And then, you know, the ending where you get not just all the doctors involved around Gallifrey, mm. but also that last shot as he goes out and joins the lineup. Yeah. yeah. That was as much of a nod as you needed. Oh, definitely. It, you didn't need any yeah. more. You didn't need any more. Definitely I'd not. Never thought, oh, sorry. I'd never thought. Sorry, mate. I, 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 I just, I just wanted to chime in with what a good point that is about John Hurt representing classic Doctor mm. Who. I hadn't, I hadn't realised that until you just said that. That's that's a very good point. Is is that he represents that whole hinterland of classic Doctor Who butting up against New Who. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic point. Yeah. Mm. While you're there, then, Disc Grinder, your low light and your highlight. If you My want. highlight for New Who is absolutely, without doubt, Family of Blood. Oh, right. Oh. That broke my heart. Oh, really? This is the Doctor not being the Doctor. This is the Doctor pretending to be John Smith. This is the Doctor with with uh, Ms. C- Stevenson from Spaced. <laughs> this is, you know, this he's got a girlfriend. He's nicked his girlfriend from uh, Simon Pegg. It's just, <laughs> it's wonderful. It's just, it's so, there's a bit in it where the boys are, sh- now clearly because I've got sons, you know, there's going to be a fatherhood thing about yeah. about small boys having to shoot guns at straw people, which my boys have to do every day. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's clearly a thing. So I'm gonna, my heart's gonna break in two. So Family of Blood and the second one after that was fantastic, with the Doctor being as hard, hard charger. Uh, uh, with a voiceover at the end where he put my mother in a mirror and my dad in chains and um, my cousin in Dublin. I don't know. Whatever he did. (laughs) 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 Not that that's a bad thing, I quickly added. But um, but that's uh, the family of blood is fantastic. Low point. Oh. Low point. It's got to be tooth and... Tooth and Claw. JR, you, yeah, you know I'm not allowed to swear, so I'm going to say Tooth and, and Effing Claw. <laughs> <laughs> horrible, 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 horrible. These, again, a little blank where I, what I want to say is A double S eight. Well, you can the, say that the, word. Arseholes. Um, yeah. Where, where, <laughs> um, um, Rose and the Doctor are being complete. Well, yeah. they are being so hugely awful that they get to create a spin-off series that's awful as well. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> they create Torchwood. That's what happened in that episode. They created Torchwood. This, that will not stand. They, you know, that's... Actually, I do find the, mention, the continued mentions of torture throughout the rest of that series completely gratuitous. Because yeah. mm. they oh, serve, yes. they're, they're the thing serve... about about uh, about villains with anagrams. I'm go, I'm going to be an, I'm going to make an anagram. How many times, Jr. You can probably tell us. Is, like, how many times have Doctor Who villains 
been anagrams of their actual villainy. The master has done it at least. Oh, excuse me. At <laughs> least. <laughs> at least a couple of times. You know, there's Stremram or, and then you get that. Oh, sorry. I'm ranting. I just yeah. <laughs> have a glass of water. Sit down. Torsion tooth. That's usually my job to rant, actually. But wooden, wooden, wooden tooth or whatever it's called with the orange, the bloody din- ninjas. Oh, it's just horrible. But what you've missed what you've missed. Okay, it's not just that because the Doctor and Rose were being awful, an awful series was born out of it. But that awful series that was born out of it, Torchwood, Torchwood was created uh, as a weapon against the awfulness of the Doctor and Rose. It was because the Doctor and Rose were so awful that Queen Victoria thought they needed Torchwood. Oh, mate, you're doing dialectical Marxism now, aren't you? Synthesis (laughs) versus antithesis. And and there will... Yeah, that's just... That's wrong. That's Torchwood is from stem to stern. Awful. Yeah, you're right. You're not right. <laughs> I'm not getting any disagreement from you. Uh, Hayden, what do you think about teach- Torchwood? Teachwood? Uh, I didn't watch you much, Don't but every time, every time I did, I turned it off. I just, <laughs> I just, well, I just, I really didn't like it. I found the Captain Jack character great. This is, this is incredible mm. to me, though, is that RTD did both, both uh, Torchwood and the and the Sarah Jane Adventures, and the Sarah Jane Adventures are lovely. Yeah. I mean, they yeah, really they are. are, yeah, brilliant. And Torchwood is uh, uh, horrible. Yeah, but Tor- Torchwood is trying to be adult Doctor Who. And Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who should never. <clears throat> there should never be a spin-off of an adult Doctor Who. Doctor Who is a yeah. family show. Sarah Jane Adventures was a family show. Yeah. Torchwood. It was a bit like. Do you remember when Charlie Brooker once described it as? Uh, it was like the Chuckle Brothers with sea shots. <laughs> and he, he hit the nail on the head. It was it was Didn't gratuitous for no. It, it was being gratuitous for the sake of it. It was yeah. like I'm an, an, an adolescence of... version of writing adult sci-fi, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Just that, just chucking loads of sex and swearing. People will love yeah. it and. Well, people did love it. I didn't like the first two series at all. I thought it was utter crap, to be honest. Well, if you're gonna if you if, but, if you're gonna go golden age science fiction metaphors, you're gonna say that uh, Torchwood was late period Robert Heinlein. Yes. Right. So some yeah. people would get that. It's late it's Stranger in a Strange Land and everything that he did ever after, which was like complete and utter B double L locks. Mm. Yes. <laughs> However, I, I will defend Children of Earth though. Yeah, Children yeah, of Earth. Yeah, yeah, good point. I, I actually yeah. I actually thought that was event television and to do it on consecutive nights I think was a stroke of genius. I know um John Barrowman didn't particularly like that, that this short Form epi- uh, form of Torchwood, but I think it worked brilliantly. Then they mm. went and ruined all that with Re- Miracle Day, yeah. which is oh, which is ten hours word. of my life I will never ever get back. <laughs> so, uh, Miracle Day is the only extended Doctor Who universe stuff I don't have on DVD. Right now, well, and that's, and and that's a good, and that's a good that. thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, and now, I I only very rarely get this chance to ask big big fans of Doctor Who. And I'm gonna do it. And it's an awful thing to ask. Is who's your doctor? Oh, interesting. Oh, that's not. Yeah, I, interesting. I've, who's I've your you, doctor? Hayden. Yeah, I've already mentioned him, Pertwee. Yay! Yeah, he's my doctor because really? he's it, why? Um, 
It's my very first television memory fall. So I've I've told this anecdote many many times on on many many podcasts, but um, that's my very first memory of watching television. Full stop is the Green Death. Wow! And I can, and I can only be wow. about three years old at the time. Amazing. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I can remember, I can remember Pertwee regenerating into Tom Baker and not understanding what was going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know. So <laughs> that was yeah, when so it started it. for me, though. I'm slightly older than you, but for me, it's Tom Baker because memories of Pertwee, but Tom Baker's the one where I started to connect with the program and wow. started to understand what it was about. Yeah. Mm. No, no, I need to ask you a question about that, though. So when you say connecting with what the programme is about, is that getting... Understanding the the plots as opposed to just following the monsters. Wow, yeah, 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 absolutely. That's that's a really good point. I'm guessing yours would be William Hartnell, eh, Disc Grinder? (laughs) (laughs) Right, you can cut this bit out. Like, so I'm going to leave you a pause so you can cut it out, you (laughs) (laughs) no it's not it's Troughton it is Troughton I mean yes and that does kind of age me into a little bit it is Troughton it is the invasion it is uh, definitely um, it may be even the Highlanders yeah yeah it may even be that because I was two when that was broadcast and it went in there somewhere but yeah definitely Troughton Troughton's my doctor Right, one last question. Oh, Hayden, we didn't get you. No, you're no, the most and interesting I'm, one. And I, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm the one who sort of uh, falls down the, the back of the um, sofa as such because yeah. I, don't, ah! I don't really have a doctor because the show wasn't on. I had seven to pick from as a child. Well, eight technically to pick from, and the one that I, tra- I attached myself to most was Patrick Mountain. Um, oh. Even though I only had. I don't. Know, I never had a complete story of his on video until the Ice Warriors came out. So I'd have these these little glimpses into a very, you know, dark black and white past, where there would be this man with these sad but yet happy eyes, who was whimsical. He was magical. He was serious. He could be grumpy. He could be on the turn of a sixpence. He could be, you know, the the, the strongest man in the room when he's one of the most diminutive. You know, he was. He was fantastic. He he was he was the archetype of Doctor, I think. And he, I think he's the blueprint for everyone. Absolutely fantastic. I agree but with also, that. Yeah. Mm. But also really interestingly, Hayden, uh-huh. for you, he's the Wizard of Oz. All these yes. other doctors, you've got lots of stories with them in. They're familiar, they're cozy. Patrick Troughton, you've just got little glimpses of him behind the curtain. You're not sure who he is. Yes. You're not sure what's going on. Yeah. He's the one who draws your attention. He is. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. He, 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 there's a mystery attached to the second doctor because there's still so much missing. Um, yeah. It always used to intrigue me as well when I used to buy the Target books, just how grumpy he always was on the front cover. And yet, <laughs> yeah. and yet when you saw him on <laughs> yeah. TV, he was never anything like that. It was odd. Well, let's just take a moment to bask in the glory that is the web of fear and the enemy of the world. Yeah. yeah, and how yeah. wonderful that was, and how what you never realised about uh, there was so much acting business going on. There was so much interplay between the characters that you would never get from telesnaps, that you would never get from audio. That you you, you just saw how fantastically well acted it was. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was just amazing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I immediately downloaded it from iTunes and watched it, and watched it, and watched it again, and just 
bask in the glory because because before that all you had had was to to show the chemistry that was going on between the actors in that was uh, the tomb of the cybermen yeah. when had you not seen that little bit of uh play where um uh, patrick Troughton holds um fraser hines hand <laughs> Going into, if you hadn't seen, if if you'd only had the telly snaps, if you'd only had the audio book, you'd never have seen that. No. Yeah. No, Do you know true. my theory on this? Because of you know, it's been said many times that particularly by those last three series in the sixties, they were making it so close to broadcast and you know it was so many weeks of the year and because they were doing a lot more filming now they were losing their weekends because they were going out filming mm. and they were on such a treadmill i think a lot of the times the regulars were just trying to amuse themselves and it comes yeah. across on screen yeah Definitely. i think you're right there yeah just just trying to keep each other entertained and interested enough to keep on coming in day after day and week after week and doing it and when things do look a little bit now um then they, they sort of they 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 deviate away from, well, they deviate your attention away from just how mad yeah. things could be with something yeah. very entertaining that they do. I mean, there, there, there's a segment actually in the Web of Fear when the camera sort of pans around and uh, the second dog goes, oh, uh, Jamie, I think I'm going to need torches. And Fraser, Hine cl- Fraser Hines clearly knows that he's out of shot and he sort of bends in the gap between Deborah Watton and Patrick Trouton's heads and just nods. <laughs> this is how he knows. I'm, I'm, I might not get in shot here, but I'm just going to, you know, just like it's, it's something which it's something. It's like something I, I would do, you know, <laughs> yeah. to paper over a crack, you know. In the, uh, I, I love it, and also the big, big shout out to Fraser Hines as well as Jamie. Yeah, he was a huge. Yeah, I absolutely. My very first um, episode, well, my very first black and white episode was uh, the Abominable Snowmen, episode wow. two, and and to see a companion get right into the story and you know whack the uh whack the stanchion away which is holding the cave up and then you know it, just such an action-packed first you know two minutes where he crushes the yeti in polystyrene rocks is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just just you know my, my jaw dropped open but, yeah lovely. one of the things that you get from from seeing uh those things replayed in tele snaps or in audiobook and then when you actually get to see what was going on is you understand quite how wonderful these things that were shot within minutes of when they were yeah. broadcast yeah, one how time. brilliant they were yeah. you know it's like it's like a play for today encapsulated every minute uh, 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 like i was um due to one reason or another i've been listening on a loop to the highlanders and mm-hmm. it's fantastic. There's no incidental music mm. at all. It's diegetic music, if anything. It's just, it's just, uh, 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 and the characters that come across are really well written, really well put together. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why Doctor Who from the sixties and the seventies has, has become such a thing that you, you, you want to keep going back to is because it's really well written. Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's the thing that's forgotten about. There were a lot of because people, a lot of people can't get past what they perceive to be you know wobbly sets, rubbery monsters. But mm. there are some extremely good scripts written back in the back in the sixties and seventies. Absolutely fantastic stories. And I think if people should, could just try and get past what they're what they're seeing, yeah, and just listen to the dialogue and, and listen to 
Well, I'll tell you, the app, ha- you know, it's, 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 there is some fantastic television there. There well, really I'll, is. Well, when, when, I, when I watch the black and white episodes, and, and especially, at, well, I suppose the classic series altogether, it's almost like I have a perception filter on, because when I watch it alone, I am in the story, I'm listening to the dialogue, and I'm paying more mm. attention to that than I am the sets <clears> and, the, yeah, and, and the poor special effects. Yet when I'm watching it with people, uh, yeah, real real people. <clears throat> I, I, I I tend to notice it more. And what what uh, one of the examples of that was when they showed Terror of the Autons on the Horror Channel. I was watching. I was around my parents' house and I was watching Terror of the Autons, and I just realised how ropey it looked. Um, but if I watched it by myself uh, on my TV back at home, um, I'm I'm in the story. I don't notice just how bad the CSO is. With that's a really good point though that's a really good point because because one of the best stories uh for late pertwee was the invasion of the dinosaurs oh yeah Mm. i love that story if you look at if you read that story if you read that script if you had in a novelization you'd think this is amazing but because of the ropey rubber monsters you somehow have this idea that was a bit shit Mm. oh sorry a bit yeah, whatever. Boopies, but that word. It isn't. It is not. It is fantastic. There's so many little things that it brings up. It brings up anti-Semitism. It brings yep. up fascism. It's Malcolm Hulk yep. being a Marxist atheist that he is. There's just some beautiful set pieces in it. It's just a wonderfully put together story that makes you think after every cliffhanger. Uh, it, it's wonderful. Uh, and, and people, Deny it, you know, uh, because it's got rubber well, monsters in it. Take the, dino- take the dinosaurs out, and it's one of the best written uh, stories of the John Pertwee era. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the, one of the great uh, um, uh, uh, phrases that I learnt from well yourself, Jr. Yeah. Was ignore the rat. Yeah, <laughs> you know it is. It is this. Ju- the, the, that was the Ben from Indiana. Is so ignore the rat. It's like don't you know? This is such a good story. Just ignore the rat. Ignore the rubber monsters. This is a really really good story. But also, when it was broadcast in nineteen seventy whatever, Ooh. those monsters were really frightening. I know because I saw them, and they oh, frightened the life out of me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they frighten the life out of me. It's like um, I can remember burnt into my mind on the first episode is the milk bottles shattered on the pavement, yeah, and the whole of London being completely deserted. Mm. And then looking back on it now, seeing some bad CSO of a, a, a of a dinosaur, but at the time on the twelve inch screen with the four hundred one lines, it was amazing. That. I, that yes. first episode was, is, and always will be one of my absolute favourite Doctor Who episodes. Yes. Right, guys, I'm going to have to move you along because I've got work very early in the morning. And there was <laughs> one more big reason why I wanted to gather you all here, but we're going to have to race through it a bit now. But I was going to say, how and why did you first get into podcasting? Phil, Phil, yours Ooh. is the... Yours is the oldest podcast here of all four of the podcasts. I suppose it is now, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what was it that brought you into podcasting? I think just listening to other other podcasts, really. Um, and we didn't actually intend to do 
uh, a Doctor Who podcast uh, to begin with. That we when we originally started out, sort of thinking of ideas. That I think the first one was going to be like a uh, like a news based podcast where we um, the three of us would just pick out a story from the week and then we just sort of discuss it and we wouldn't know what the other one was going to talk about. So it'd be a bit more like free form and everything. Yeah. Um, then we sort of moved away from that idea, and then we sort of thought about the at the time ITV four, hmm. um, ITV three. I think I might come which one it was now. That was ITV three. Was showing all the old classic ITC programs, so like Man in a Suitcase, Random Hotkirk, etc., etc. So we were going to do podcasts based on those sort of things, uh, and then the bugger stopped showing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so then we thought, well, okay, the other thing we've all got in common, well, me and Paul especially, is, is Doctor Who. So that's why we settled on that. But it was only meant to be a monthly podcast, and it was only going to be commentaries. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so our first, I think our very first one was Pyramids of Mars. That's all we, we kicked off with, and I can't bear to listen to it now. But um, yeah. but, um, go, but going f- sort of forward, when um, I think it was when the fifth, Matt Smith's no second series, I think, started series six, and then and then Miracle Day was on at the same time. Then we thought, okay, then we'll do a weekly podcast while that's on, and we stuck doing that ever since. Right, really, that's that's how we sort of got into it. But but we were inspired really by things like Radio Free Scarra. We started, you know, listening to that. Um, and, and that think, was it, really. Do you think if the series hadn't been on? And, you know, that interest in Doctor Who hadn't perhaps been rekindled as much. Do you think you'd have done it still? I don't think we would have done. Because, to be quite honest, I'd even heard a podcast until I listened to RFS. Yeah. You know, that was, I think, I don't even know how I managed to sort of come across them, to be honest. I honestly can't remember how I heard about, uh, I think it was on um, Tell a Lie, it was on um, Digital Spy Forum. Oh right, yeah. They used they used to advertise their podcast, and I thought, okay, I'll give this a listen. And and um, oh, that was sort of back in the early days. They were still trying to find their find their feet as well. So um, yeah, I think I think that's how I sort of heard about the whole Doctor Who thing. And then I sort of realised how just how many Doctor Who podcasts there are out there. And I sort of began to wonder, is this such a good idea? Because we're sort of getting sort of swamped with Doctor Who podcasts now. But as it turns yeah. out, there's plenty of room for everybody. There is yeah, so I'm many gonna, people. I'm point yeah. out that that uh, your man there is is pretty unique voice. Yeah. As far as Doctor Who con- podcasting is concerned, so fair play to you, mate. Okay, thank you. And <laughs> while while you've just been talking about it, Phil, yeah. What's the name of the podcast, and where can you find it? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Who's he podcast? You can find us on iTunes if you just search Who's he podcast. Uh, website is. Who's hyphen he hyphen podcast.co.uk, and you can also find us on Player FM and tune in. Right, from the oldest podcaster in the room to the youngest podcast in the room, <laughs> and Disc Grinder, this is the first time anybody's ever described you as the youngest anything. <laughs> Binro yeah. was right. Tell well, us about. Binro was right. Now, I am going to have to say something quite nice. Which is debilitating, is that <laughs> I I was inspired absolutely and completely about uh, by listening to the Blue Box, and the one thing in particular that Blue Box did was when uh, Jr. You invited three people who had been corresponding with you, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Al No, and the Reverend Hollow Porro. 
and you invited them into your podcast and said, well, come and have a go. And then Deadly Dumb was created. And what that made me think was that anybody can do this. Anybody who has got something interesting to say can actually do a podcast. So me and Betsy, who'd been friends for you know, like years, and we had been chuntering about Doctor Who for, for years, uh, 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 um, drinking too much lager in pubs, and shouting about Colin Baker and her telling me that I'm wrong about Sylvester. We, inspired by what you guys did on Blue Box, said, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's do a Bin Room Was Right podcast. Uh, let's do, let's do this. Let's, let's, and I've got to thank you guys for, you know, for making it happen. Really? <laughs> yeah, you did. Very kind of you to say. Well, well, that's, well, yeah, there you go. But go on then. Where can we find Binro was right? Uh, Binro was right. You can find it up your ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can find it on Binro was right dot com. You can find it on iTunes. Binro was right. Uh, I am at Discrider on Twitter, but really seriously, don't don't listen to anything I say on there. Um, I'll concur with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it, but uh, Betsy Chevron on Twitter is wonderful and excellent, and uh, yeah, that's that's all good. And now that you've talked about Diddly Dumb, that's all the segue I need to get to Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. Hayden, you are one of the new regulars on Diddly Dumb. I am. Yes, correct? yes. I, I I regenerated from the rev uh, last week. So, uh, brand new experience uh, for me to actually podcast about Doctor Who. Um, I ha- have done a couple of podcasts before, but they've been quite short-lived. Um, one was a comedy podcast called Nothing in Particular, um, where we deliberately uh, sort of lampooned um, the actual medium of audio bro- uh, broadcasting. So we deliberately do visual gags, <laughs> which... Uh, which uh, On a podcast? Yeah, on a podcast, yeah. You're yeah. doing visual gags on a podcast. Yep. Hey, yep. Lee that and Simon. so meta. Lee and Simon once did a picture quiz on a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Lee. Lee is the addict yeah. of, of Doctor Who podcasting. <laughs> and then I suppose, and then after that, and then when that, that finished a couple of years ago, I, I did a few episodes of something called TV podcast. Um, where uh, me and my uh, friend would basically talk about TV, but we'd pick a theme. So we'd do British-based uh, cop shows, and then we did uh, school-based shows, and uh, and then occasionally I'd I'd pop up as uh, like doing like terrible impressions of people like Terence Sticks to read out read out the uh, <laughs> read out the DVD blurb of I think it was Snake Dance or thing. Is this did why you, you got the job do? of the Rev? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, Terence hasn't turned up on on Diddy Dumb yet, but um, I'm sure he I'm will. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. And then, then, uh, and then, uh, Doc kindly asked me to join Diddy Dumb, and I and I did last week. So yeah, it's been it's been great so far. Fair You've play. recorded two now. Is that did you say? Uh, just, just one. one. Just one so far. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I'm how, still a how newbie, you, but we're, we're kind how have of you found the, it, but. But because because we changed lineup uh, within what just over a year, does that make us the atomic kitten of Doctor Who podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it does. Uh, okay, no, then for... it makes you the sixth Doctor. Oh, do, oh dear! I won't last long. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, no, Michael Graydon sacked me. 
And where then can we find Diddly Dum? Uh, you can find Diddly Dum on uh, iTunes, if you search Diddly Dum. And on uh, WordPress, we've got diddlydumpodcast.wordpress.com. And if you search for us on Facebook and Twitter as well, and uh, Stitcher as well. Fantastic. Guys, then, it's been a brilliant evening so good in fact that it's gone on for approximately half an hour longer than i expected it to <laughs> and, and we didn't really talk about the new series did we not, not as much all. as i was planning on talking. <laughs> but that's life hey uh, you know we're as bad as you guys we just go off at a tangent and that's how it goes <laughs> if that's what it if that's where the conversation takes you that's where the conversation takes you that's how it should be <laughs> exactly exactly but thanks for all coming on because uh, well, you know, I didn't know really what to expect when I invited you all on, and it's been worse than my po- f- worse than I could have possibly feared. <laughs> well, a job well done then. Yep, yep. mission accomplished, everyone. <laughs> yeah, stitched <laughs> up like a kipper. Right, next week, uh, Lee and Simon will be back. But until then, I was Jr. I, I was, was Phil. we're doing this alphabetic until next week I was JR alphabetically (laughs) yes Yes. I was describer I was Hayden and I was Phil (laughs) (laughs) bye Phil and we will (laughs) and we will speak again soon (laughs) 